Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine with insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, helping you improve your game from tee to green. Good morning, welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Epson, LPGA and Legends Tour, and so many others helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning everybody once again and welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico and right alongside, of course, each and every week is none other than Legends Tour player and LPGA professional Cindy Miller and we are, of course, are your hosts here of the Women of Golf Show. Good morning, Cindy. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm in sunny Florida. I know. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that here uh, in just a moment uh, to catch everybody up what Miss, Mrs. Miller is doing in Florida. Um, but first, let me remind everybody, of course, we are live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, you can find us by going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf. We'll take you directly uh, to the main show link. And you can tune in live every Tuesday uh, from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, or you can visit the on-demand section at a later time uh, when it's convenient for you. You just scroll down and you'll find it on that same page. And you can listen to all of the previously aired um, shows as well. But we've got a great show for you this morning. We're going to be uh, entering here in just a moment the No BS Zone. We're going to talk about five keys to hitting some crisp irons. And then a little bit later on, we're going to join by special guest Karen uh, McMeekin. She's a 20-year LPJ Class A member among other things, we're going to talk to her a little bit later on the broadcast. But, yeah, so, Cindy, uh, I know the reason you're down in Florida, but maybe you can share a little bit of the details uh, with our listeners this morning. Well, we do boot camps. We take people from wherever, and we meet at Orange County National Golf Club in Orlando, Florida, and we help you improve your game. It is a very concentrated um, camp where we start each morning with a, a morning meeting, we do uh, assessments, behavior assessments, motivation assessments, learning style assessments to find out whether or not you want to see it, feel it, or hear it. And then we go out on the range, we chip, we putt, we do bunker shots, we do long game, then we come in for lunch, and then we go play 18 holes every day. So it's not wow. golf vacation. It is boot camp. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely uh, very intense, but that's good, though. I mean, it's good to, to – and you're, you're covering all the bases. Now, is this one of your regular boot camps? Because I know you also do some junior boot camps as well. Is this or a little mixed bag? This is a regular one. We, we did a junior camp that ended yesterday, and we have an mm-hmm. adult camp that starts tomorrow. Very good. So – uh, so how did the juniors do? I mean, how did you overall, would you, your assessment oh, would be, right. uh, everybody, yeah? Yeah. And you know what it is? It's knowing how to play the right shot at the right time for the right situation. Mm-hmm. Again, when you give normal golf lessons, you're, you know, you're on the driving range. And, and we, we teach in Buffalo, New York, so we're inside a dome. And we have a, we have a green with a short game area, but it's, you know, it's better when you're outside, needless to say. And we play sure. golf with them. And Orange County has a nine-hole tooth golf course, which is like a practice golf course yep. with two par fours and a lot of par threes. So it's real easy to be able to hit extra shots, if you will. We do play mm-hmm. the regulation golf courses where they hold the PGA Tour, uh, Corn Ferry Tour qualifier. Um, yep. Crooked cat and pat their legs. So we play those as well. The practice, we start the first day on the range, we have lunch, then we go back and warm up, and then we go play the tooth. And we might play 18 holes, we might play 27 holes, we might play 20 holes. 
so we just play until everybody about dies. But we're able to <laughs> hit extra shots into the green and figure out yardages. I mean, so many people, if you've got 105 yards to the pin, you know, and there's a bunker in the front, well, how fair is it to carry the bunker? What's the wind doing? What's the temperature? What's the play of right. the yardage? All those things about learning how to score. So it's really mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, and uh, that that definitely sounds like a grueling boot camp. Uh, but you know what? At the end of the time, they're going to get a lot of great lessons that they can then take into their own practice sessions when they're out in the range themselves. They can think about those things. And when they get out and play their own rounds uh, with friends or, or their, their foursome or what have you, uh, they're going to be able to take that knowledge and say, okay, I remember what they said at the boot camp. I need to do this you know, for my approach shot, or I need to do this off the tee. This is what I need to be thinking about, and this is what I don't need to be thinking about. But they, a lot of great nuggets there. So let me ask you one final question, then we've got to move on to, uh, to the no BS zone. So you, you've just finished the junior camp. You're getting into the adults. Who do you find – now, obviously, you know, a lot of the juniors are, are just sort of learning the game, probably some of the, the adults as well. Who do you find is more receptive to the teaching, the, the young ones or the older ones? Hmm. Who's easier? I, I guess that, that maybe that, let me rephrase it. Who's easier to work with, to mold, if you will, uh, the young ones or the, the older ones? It depends on the goals. Sometimes changes are hard. You know, the three investments are time, mm-hmm. money, and change, and mm-hmm. change is the hardest. But if if the wish is big enough then it's not and it's funny because we had four well five junior students here this week Mm -hmm. one of them is playing she's not junior she's mid-am but she's trying to qualify for the lpga tour so needless to say her commitment level is higher then we had Mm -hmm. two young men and two young girls and of those four Two, three of them want to play on tour. They say they do. One of them does right. not. So I said, mm-hmm. I need to know what your goals are because I need to know how, what kind of food to give you. Right. In other words, if you just want to play D3 college golf and you shoot and you're a girl and you shoot 100, we don't need to practice as hard. Right. You know what I mean? If, if you want to play yep. D1 really good school and you're, uh, in fifth grade, then we need to feed you solid food. And if you're at 15 and you're in 10th grade, which two of the boys were, you know, and you're shooting 82, then we got to find seven shots yeah, or more. Mm-hmm. So it gives us a baseline of, you know, what we're doing and where we're going and what we're going to feed you. Now, some of the people that are coming this week, only there's eight adults coming. There's only one woman that we don't know. People are coming from the state of Washington, from Texas, from Washington, D.C., from Corning, New York, and a few people from Buffalo. So most of them come together every year. So it's more it's a fun thing, but it's, I want right. to improve. And, and they've been with us multiple years. So mm-hmm. they know the drill, and they know that, you know, they'll get what they came for. So mm-hmm. it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, and I think it goes back, just very quickly, and then and we definitely have to move on. I think it goes back to that question that you always refer to, and that is the why. Um, understanding the why you're there in the first place. I don't necessarily mean the boot camp, but why, you know, what your goal is to, to play. Are you just looking to you know, have some recreational fun, or are you looking to be a little bit more competitive um, with, you know, with your with your goals? And I think understanding that why, first and foremost, is going to help not only them, but also help you as well. So, uh, very interesting. Um, glad you're, uh, you know, still doing these things. I think they're, they're great for, for um, you know, the folks that want to come down and really dial into some areas of their game that, that need help. And uh, I can't think of a, a better couple than the Millers to uh, to be able to do that. So, all right, we're going to move on to the no BS zone. We're going to talk about five keys to hitting crisp iron shots. Um, and the first one, and again, not necessarily any steady or any specific order, but uh, first one, Cindy, is keeping your head steady. 
Um, the average tour player moves his or her head uh, about an inch during the swing. The average amateur player, uh, in, in many of the golf lessons I'm sure that you've seen, Cindy, uh, they'll move his or her head much more than an inch during their swing. And, of course, I'm specifically referring to side-to-side motion. So um, what do you think about that? I mean, you know, we've heard several sides of the camp that you don't necessarily have to lock your head, you know, completely rigid, steady, that there obviously is some movement, um, but some movement or too much movement is bad. What are your thoughts there about keeping your head steady, um, and what do you recommend to help uh, being able to do that? What, what's your tip, if you will? I totally agree. Your head needs to be steady. I, um, I, I Again, I play with these our students when we're out there on, at boot camp. And mm-hmm. part of the reason I play is because I want them to watch what I do and how I think and how I maneuver myself around the golf course because I think it's good for them to see. I found something this week that I was slouching a little bit and my head was kind of drooping. And yesterday right. I um, just lifted my head up a little bit. Not a lot. You know, you don't want to be looking like out of bifocals, but you don't want your head, your chin touching your chest. you got to have room to swing your arms. And my arms right. were pulling my head up because my head was down too much. Mm-hmm. Be aware that you don't need to keep your head down. And if you get mm-hmm. old and you start slouching, don't slouch. Pick <laughs> your head up a little bit. And so your arms can swing without moving your head, if you will. And the right. way you can check yourself is by closing one of your eyes and swinging the club. So when you close one of your eyes and you swing the club on the top of your backswing, if you can't see the ball, you've moved your head too much, yeah. which is a great little yeah. trick to do. Right. And, and I think also, too, Cindy, is one of the things that you have to be mindful of is, you know, if your base, and I'm meaning from the ground up, is not solid. So in other words, if you're, um, you know, I'm a very tall player, so one of the you know, Achilles heels, if you will, that I have is or have had over the years is uh, a little more sway in the backswing because my legs are so long and and I can coil pretty good. But um, sometimes I have to guard against that. And I've noticed that a lot more in taller players than I do some of the shorter players. I don't know why that is, but it just maybe because we got more leg or something. I don't know. Um, So, you know, having a little bit more solid base, that doesn't mean you have to lock your legs completely tight. But if you're getting real loose in the legs too much and you start to, your lower body really starts to sway, that's going to pull your head off the ball as well. So you have to be mindful of that. But you're exactly right. You, you, sometimes I see a lot of players, especially older players, slouch. Their chin basically digs into their, uh, into their chest and um, they can't rotate their arms. So as you pointed out in your case, is it the, as the arms do rotate around to, uh, and the shoulders rotate around into the backswing, it collects the chin, and next thing you know, you're pulling your head off the ball. So that's a great tip. Just lift your head up just a little bit. You want to still be able to keep your eye on the ball, of course, um, but you want to be able to swing freely. Uh, your arms and your shoulders need to be able to rotate underneath your chin and not uh, collecting it on the way. So that's a good one. Another one, Cindy, uh, the second one I've got here is shifting your weight forward. Uh, this is a definite must when you're hitting, uh, you want to hit good irons. Again, tour professionals uh, typically on average arrive at impact with 80 to 95% of their weight on their forward leg. So for right-handed golfers, that would be your left. For left, that would be, of course, your right. Um, average weekend golfers uh, typically, not every case, but typically arrive at impact with about 55% of their weight on the forward leg. Uh, that's just not going to work. So obviously that creates things like a reverse pivot, um, you're just not getting over to your left side. So here's a tip that I'm going to suggest, and, and Cindy, you may have some other ones, is, is to stick a training stick. You can get one at any pro shop or even most sporting goods uh, stores that, that uh, offer uh, uh, that sell golf equipment, uh, or your local pro if you're working with one that can get you one for sure, uh, or an old shaft in the gra- ground about a hand's width away from your front leg. And if you bump into the stick when swinging, you've moved your weight forward correctly. Um, and if you're not, uh, then obviously you're not shifting enough to your forward leg. And you want to obviously make sure that you, the flex in your front leg uh, when you make that move. So don't lock it tight. So 
putting a, a, a training stick or an old shaft in the front leg, and I don't mean in front of your leg, but to the side, so that as you're turning through, you're going to just give it a slight bump. That's going to help you to think about transferring your weight to that front leg. Uh, what are some things that you can think of or any other comments that you want to make? I would tell people to beware because what I find is if you are locking your left arm, which most people try to do because they've heard to keep your front arm if you're right-handed, so front arm would be left for right-handed players, left yep. arm for uh, left arm for right-handed players, right arm right. for left-handed players. Anyway, if you lock that arm and you move forward, you will hit it fast. So mm-hmm. what I would say is you can start with a little more weight on your front foot, if you will, but you must relax your arms to allow the club head to get down to the ball. If you don't, you will pull the grip and you will dig to the ground. So I would just tell them beware because so many people over-exaggerate and if they try to shift their weight way too much and their arm is straight, we're digging to China and flopping dirt yep. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and or if you stand up, which a lot of people do because they have that sort of sub- subconscious fear of hitting into the ground, they'll actually stand up out of their posture and then they end up topping it or hitting it thin. So some great uh, great points there. Uh, number three is keeping the front wrist, and again, opposite if you're you're left-handed mm-hmm. golfer, but in this case we're going to talk about the left wrist, uh, keeping it flat. Uh, a flat left wrist will, again, prevent the club passing the front arm prior to impact. Uh, a swing flaw that we often see uh, that generates a lot of fat and scald shots is when they don't keep that, that wrist flat. So in other words, what happens is the wrist breaks down uh, and becomes cupped, and they'll ultimately the club head will pass before they even get to impact. And again, you're hitting all kinds of shots there. So again, you can take a training stip, stick as an example, put it in the grip end of the club so that it sticks out about a foot, uh, and then now hit some balls. Practice hitting the ball first, uh, then the ground without letting the stick hit you in the stomach. Uh, if the stick hits you there, your left wrist wasn't flat at impact. So there you go. Uh, some, some instant feedback. Listen, I kid you. <laughs> That's right. If you've got some bruises on your stomach, then you know that uh, you've been practicing that drill. So th- this is another one, too. And I, I mean, you know, we hear so many things, Cindy, in the industry, so many different versions, so many different uh, things of keeping your head this or, or keeping your wrist that way. But uh, there is a lot of truth to this. I mean, again, you have to be careful and mindful that you understand what the, what the pros are telling you. But essentially what it's basically meaning is your, your left wrist, in the case of a right-handed golfer, is mimicking the club face to some degree. And, and what happens is if it starts to, to break down as you're swinging through, then that means the club head is also uh, going to break down and you're going to end up getting in a situation, as you pointed out, you're either going to hit them thin or fat because it's not reaching the, the correct position at impact. So that front wrist, that left wrist in the case of right-handed golfers is important. What are your thoughts on that? And is there any drills that maybe you found to, to sort of help keep that club face square? Well, I come at it from the opposite arm. I believe that your right palm, if you're right-handed, should be uh, going in the same direction as the club face. And if you swing the club face back and through with your right palm and toss underhanded, you won't flip it and you won't hang on and the face will come back to square. So basically everything we're telling you is about bringing, starting the face square, swinging it back, and bringing it back to square. If we do that, the ball goes straight. So you can think different thoughts depending on what works best for you. Um, it might be forward hand and arm. It could be back hand and arm. So the point being is the club face must come back to square. Right. Well said. Um, number four is hitting along a diagonal sweet spot path. I know that sounds, what the heck is that? Okay, that is going to help you control flight path. So if you think about, for those of you that may uh, recall um, seeing the, the images in past uh, articles and magazines where there'd be a, a plane of glass would be leaning, Ben Hogan, uh, famously, there was a picture of him uh, in uh, his book where 
you had a sheet of glass that laid against the shoulders once you were in your address position, and that mimicked the, the plane. So basically what they're talking about here is um, it's sort of like moving from a gutter on your house to the roof's apex. So in other words, your back swing should follow a plane that goes back, up, and then, on, and then in on the way down. So when you come down, the club's sweet spot travels diagonally forward, down, and then out towards the golf ball. So I know it sounds very complicated, but basically uh, it's about angles. When you're in your posture and you're swinging your clubs back, you're not swinging them on um, a straight path, if you will. You're actually on an angle. Uh, your shoulders are on an angle. Your arms are on an angle. So it swings around your body. And that's what they're talking about is in order to be able to make good contact, you need to swing on that plane. So, if, again, if you think of a roof, how it slopes down, you're swinging on a bit of a slope, if you will. Um, I know it's an odd thing. Uh, people, it's a, probably more information than a lot of people meet, but it's, it is important. If you look at most golf instruction, they've t at some point talk about the swing plane. And that's really what that's referring to because you see a lot of people, they get too steep, they get way too flat. There is an ideal plane to return that club face to square, and that's really what that's talking about. What are your thoughts here, and is that something that you think, in your opinion, Cindy, that maybe um, you can talk about in, in a general sense, but you don't necessarily need to get too deep into discussion about it because it can be very confusing? So when you're standing over the ball, Mm -hmm. Let's say we got a seven iron in our hand. From your shoulders to the ball, there's no straight line. It's a tilted line. That's called right. a swing plane. Now, if your front arm, if you're right-handed, it's your left, is sitting on the side of your chest, and your hands are kind of under your chin, so you're bowing over, you're not sitting, and you're, the weight is on the balls of your feet, all you need to do is keep the top of your front arm, which is your left, swing the club head back and through nice and relaxed, just as if you're swinging your arms back and through. Your front arm, which is your left arm for right-handed players, will stay close to your chest. So you don't want it to go away from you. That would be too steep and too vertical. And you don't want to swing around yourself to hit somebody behind you. That would be too flat. So basically, when you're mm -hmm. standing there bowing over and your arms on the side of your chest, all you need to do is swing your arms back and through, and you mm -hmm. should hit the ground right before the ball every single time, absolutely perfect, if your hands, wrists, and arms are relaxed and you allow the club head to swing. That will give you the yep. perfect swing plane, which is this tilted piece of glass, if you will. Right. Right, and that's all that's referring to. And, and again, you don't need to get it. Sometimes, again, for, for those that like a visual cue, that just gives you an idea visually of being able to see what we're talking about. Because sometimes, you know, folks can, can uh, again, it goes to what you said very early on um, this morning, and that is about how we learn. Um, if you're somebody that's a visual learner, that plane of glass uh, or the apex in the roof to give you that idea that it's on an angle um, can help maybe visualize what it is that you need to do. But you're exactly right. And that comes into the um, last one, which we really kind of touched on already, and that is to work on the club face control. So after working on the above keys that we've talked about, uh, learning to control the club face at impact becomes much easier. Uh, golf ball starts in the direction the club face is pointing at impact and travels away from that path. So if the face is open, for instance, at impact, then the ball is going to fade. If it's closed at impact, uh, the ball is going to draw. So um, you have to be careful, and this goes to another part that really we didn't hit on but uh, is also important, is that's how you grip the club. If you're gripping the club and the club face is closed, um, then you're naturally going to hit the ball right to left. If it's open um, when you grip the club, uh, when you address the ball is what I'm referring to, uh, then obviously you're going to fade or even slice depending on how you exaggerate things. Um, so it's important to make sure in your setup uh, that you exercise um, not only a good grip, that you make sure you're gripping the club correctly, but you make sure that the club face is square uh, before you even start to swing the club. And this is something I know, Cindy, you've talked about quite a bit over the years is about, you know, in order to hit good, crisp shots and get it airborne is you want to make sure that club face is coming back square, but it's certainly not going to do that if it's open or closed uh, when you're addressing the ball, correct? Correct. So let's just 
talk for a second about alignment. If you mm-hmm. try to align your shoulders to the target, you will be aimed to the right of the target if you're right-handed because you should never mm-hmm. aim your shoulders. You should always aim the face. And when you have an iron in your hand, there's grooves on the face. At the end of the grooves, there's two vertical lines going down to the ground. Those two mm-hmm. vertical lines should extend out towards the target that you want to hit. And a good mm-hmm. practice drill would be to set a yardstick on the ground right in front of your ball, you know, not so close that you're going to hit it when you hit a shot, but allow yourself to see that extended line from those two lines on the face down the line right straight through that yardstick where you want the ball to go. If you do that, you will definitely be aware of where you're aiming, and it'll help you hit straighter shots. Now, side note, if you guys want some information, email me, Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com. I've got all kinds of videos on YouTube and stuff that I can send you if you're unsure of all this stuff that we're talking about. Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com. Well said. And um, I know that these are a lot of the things that we're talking about are things that obviously you go into a little bit more involved and whatnot uh, in your boot camps and your other uh, regular lessons. So definitely reach out to Cindy. She's got a lot of great videos and so forth for you to uh, uh, to follow up on if you're still a little bit confused. But those are some things that, you know, those are just some key areas. There's obviously other areas that, that we could have gotten into, but those are just five there. I think that if you kind of learn to understand and appreciate, uh, you're going to be well on your way to hitting some crisp irons out there. And that's what really... Um, people want. People want to hit better. Certainly everybody wants more distance and things like that, but people just want to hit with more consistency. And uh, because you're hitting your irons much more than you are really any other club besides your your putter, um, you want to make sure that they're going to be crisp uh, because that's what you're using to attack the greens with. So um, making them a little bit, uh, learning to master and and hitting them crisp uh, is going to be well on your way to scoring better as well. So uh, great discussion. Um, always very interesting to uh, throw a few nuggets out there to the audience. Um, I see that we're ready for our special guest. Let me just do a quick introduction, and then we will bring on our special guest this morning. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Karen McMeekin is a uh, 20-year Class A uh, member of the LPGA. She's also the Midwest Section Treasurer. Uh, she grew up in New Jersey and has been a resident of Tennessee and Florida uh, over the past 36 years a former school teacher with a BS in physical education from the University of South Florida, and she's also the founder and president of a Time for Pause, a no-kill animal welfare organization based out of Crossville, Tennessee. Uh, She's also a certified animal cruelty investigator and operates a thrift store and adoption center embarking on a low-cost spade and neuter uh, clinic. Uh, she teaches independent. Uh, she's an independent contractor, if you will, at many of the local courses. Uh, previously, also coached uh, high school students, and currently offers both junior and clinic lessons as well as private lessons. So, Cindy, let's welcome our very special guest this morning, Karen McMeekin. Good morning. Well, good morning. So, I have to ask you, for our audience's sake, can you explain and define? what an independent contractor at many facilities means. Sure. So I teach uh, individual lessons, private lessons, and the courses around my area allow me to come there and purchase the golf balls and give the lessons uh, without paying me a a salary or keeping me on a certain schedule. It's my own schedule. I'm I'm pretty much just a private instructor, and they are receptive to the LPGA and allow me to do such. Why would they do that? Um, Maybe because the LPGA is awesome. I don't know. Um, (laughs) I um, they don't have any they don't have any women instructors in our area. It's a very rural area, and uh, they people in the area would have to travel a good hour, maybe hour and a half, to get to um, a location where there is a an LPGA instructor, um, you know, on their staff. And I personally um, like to have my own schedule. Now, do you have to pay the facilities that you teach at, or is the ball revenue your rent? The ball revenue and uh, them going back to to play the course and, and improve, and then they bring their friends. And, yeah, I'm like, a, I'm like the uh, walking advertisement, I suppose. <laughs> 
And, you know, that's amazing because I have you ever or have they measured the impact of you being there and what it brings to their facility? Um, I do not know if they have measured that, quite frankly. They have worked with, with me in regards to the fact that I, I work full-time in regards to the animal welfare aspect of things. So if they needed me for something or they wanted me to represent um, at, a, at maybe a clinic or something, you know, they, they asked me uh, to do that. But, you know, they have their, their uh, PGA instructors, and uh, the one main course that I'm at is a, it's a state course. And, and so basically it's, it's an open driving range. Um, to anybody that would, would like to teach there. So I'm, I'm just fortunate um, because I, I was previously at a privately owned PAR 3 course with a pro shop, and I was a club builder for uh, seven years there, and I had my own shop, and that was a fabulous thing until one day the owner decided to sell the course and turn it into condominiums. Mm. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. So, That's- you know... Uh, seven years of hard work building an entire program and, you know, women's groups, kids' groups, uh, you know, a loss of about $40,000 in inventory, and, hey, how do you do? <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, you know, that's uh, – and, you know, you have to understand from, from his or her perspective that they're looking at, okay, this is the land, we're going to turn it into something, but – you know, it's a shame because you, as you said, Karen, and this is Ted, by the way, um, you you've built up a, a a good business. People, you know, come to you for a variety of different services that you're providing at that facility, and then all of a sudden to have that uh, the proverbial chair kicked out from underneath is is a little disheartening. And and uh, yeah. now you have to sort of you know kind of decide to rebuild or do something somewhere else. Uh, I concur with you, though. I also am a private contractor as well. I do that. I don't work for a specific facility, but I have a number of facilities that I, I do teach at, and I pretty much almost verbatim what you just said and how it's set up. I basically pay for the, the golf balls and that. And what I found is, too, it is a definite benefit to the course. Um, one of the courses I, I work at is the uh, one of the Robert Trent Johns, Robert Trent Jones, excuse me, uh, golf courses in uh, Alabama. Um, I rotate from there, and another one in Florida. But um, I I bring a lot of students and um, uh, you know a lot of people back to the course. So they they're more even though they have a PJ Pro on staff, uh, they don't have seem to have an issue. So I want to ask you going back to uh, golf for a second, and and that is, you know, you obviously teach juniors and and clinics um, of of rarity of. Uh, aspects what do you specifically are there areas that you like to focus on or you sort of do the overall game or there in some of your clinics do you break it up into a short game clinic here and maybe a bunker clinic or something like that give us an idea of some of the products if you will or services that you're providing uh through what you do uh out on the golf course oh uh, sure so i've done a very variety of things over the years um but currently um, what I like to offer is a series of different aspects of the game each each week. So we would have, let's say, um, I have a group of um, uh, six people that are going to come, and we're going to we're going to introduce them to the game of golf. So we'll do a, a an eight series of of lessons. I call them series, but they're clinics in that um, they're not individual people; they're they're groups of people. So. Um, you know, we start out with just the basics. Um, you know, people don't even know what end of the stick to hold sometimes. So, you know, we, mm-hmm. we start very basic and explain golf clubs and how they work in a, in a very basic manner. And, and you know, teaching people the, the different parts of a golf club or a golf course is very interesting um, to people. They, they really had no idea what grooves do on a golf club or why are they different lengths. Or, so we start off with that and then we go all the way through until uh, we can go out on the golf course and play a couple of holes. And uh, and so I really enjoy the, the step-by-step process. I think maybe going back to my school teaching roots of uh, teaching, you know, children how to, you know, throw a ball from the very beginning of, you know, what is a ball, you know. So that's, that's how I do it. What do you think, um, Karen, when, you know, because you've obviously given an over 20-year career, you've given a lot of lessons and worked with a lot of different levels of players. What seems to be, in your mind, 
some of the most sought-after information that most people are looking for? I mean, we always hear, you know, people can say, well, I want to hit it farther than that. But what do you think overall is, I guess, the, the more, most often questions that you get when people want to either learn the game or want to improve? What's the underlying theme, if you will, of what it is they're trying to accomplish? Well, I would say with the groups that I particularly teach um, over the years, it, it varied because the high school kids are, are, are trying to get a scholarship or, uh, you know, get out of the house, one of those two things. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah. the, the, older, the older folks that I, that I teach are, are retired. And so what, they, what they've done is they've found a beautiful place in Tennessee to, to, to relax and live their life and, and play affordable golf and live. And, and they want to stay active. Uh, they they want to they want to enjoy the game with their friends. Um, they want to have cocktails at the uh, you know the 19th hole, and and so as they learn the game or continue or get back into the game after they've been in the corporate world for so many years, they want to stay flexible. They they want to have fun and and just be able to have camaraderie uh, with with the people like in the neighborhoods and, and in the area. So that's the majority of the people that I teach. And it's just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's great. And, and you're exactly right. I think, you know, making it fun, making it interesting, and, and I think engaging the students. You know, I, I think a lot of times, um, you know, if we fall into the trap as an instructor where we're just sort of standing there and, and spouting off this, that, or the other, and they're not really, the students are not in getting engaged, maybe asking questions or uh, or asking for you know clarification on certain things, then it just becomes really um, a he said she said, and the problem with that is they lose interest. Do you find that as well? If your if your students are not really engaging uh, with with questions or or you know certainly a certain amount of um, uh, inquisitiveness, if you will, that you can tell that they're just not receiving the message that you're trying to give them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, like uh, Cindy had mentioned. Um, early on that, you know, people learn in different ways and, and you have to mm-hmm. figure that out about your students. And, and, and as, a, as a good LPGA instructor, you, you need to know those things before you start. And so when you have a group that's coming to you for, let's say, the, the nine and dine, they come out, play nine holes, and everybody gets together and has dinner and cocktails, you know, that, that group is happier having that 30-minute or 45-minute instruction before you play nine holes. They, they love that because they, they feel like they're going to go out and work on that right away and have fun with it, and other people in the group are doing the exact same thing. And so it's, it is mm-hmm. very important for them to be engaged and ask questions and, and have a good time and not just be strict, you know, dictatorship type of instruction. Right, and that's exactly what I was talking about. So, um, you know, just making sure that they're engaged. And I think, it, you know, if you make it interesting and you make it fun, then they're going to feel like, hey, you know, this is not just uh, – you know, uh, as you say, a dictatorship where they're telling you this, that, and the other, and you've just got to sort of follow uh, in line, you want to be able to ask questions and and feel that they're asking you questions as well in return. Um, Cindy, go ahead. What I find is that the more questions you ask them about themselves, Mm -hmm. you're really showing them that you care about them Mm-hmm. so that you are able to communicate better with them so that you can help them achieve their goals. And if Absolutely. you don't do that, you're just spouting off. Mm-hmm. And I think the LPGA is so very good at teaching us how to communicate and connect with our students better. And and it's funny because I'm speaking at the Troon Virtual Summit in 45 minutes. And <laughs> my message is how to connect and communicate with people. Excellent. And, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. again, we do a lot of personality stuff. And so we're doing that with all these general managers and instructors to show them that how, what are the questions that I can ask someone mm-hmm. so I can learn to better identify who these people are so that Absolutely. I speak their language, therefore they know that I care about them, therefore I help them, therefore they get better, therefore they tell everyone else, therefore I stay busy. 
Absolutely. You know, Cindy, what's interesting is, like, you and I kind of have this, this fun-loving kind of crazy personality, if you will. We, we we get out there. We're out there, hey, hey, hey. And, and and people love that. But sometimes you take a lesson from someone, doesn't matter who, what, what organization they're affiliated with, and you take a lesson from them, and, and they're just not feeling it. So I encourage people who are beginning the uh, lovely challenge of golf that they should find a teacher they connect with because not everyone is the same, and don't be discouraged by that maybe that first lesson you took and you just said, wow, I don't know what they were talking about, sound like Japanese. And so do that. <laughs> Go out there and, and find your person. <laughs> and, and you know what the other thing is, for somebody like you and I who are kind of wacky, we aren't going to relate to most people, a lot of people maybe. <laughs> and so it's important for us and I give the example of we've got this one student who's now 15, and when he first came in, he is the shyest, quietest student ever. And I scared him. <laughs> I believe it, Cindy. Was, I believe it. <laughs> he was little. And so I have to, hi, Johnny, how are you today? <laughs> so I have yeah. to adapt my behavior which is, if I had to do that all day, it'd be, I'd be exhausted. But the point <laughs> being is you have to know who you're teaching, and you sometimes have to adapt your behavior. So if you're shy and quiet and you've got a motor mouth coming in for a lesson, you're going to have to talk more. Absolutely. So it's really important to know who you're teaching. He actually cried one time. <laughs> oh, my I find it funny because there, I'm, I'm such a talker, and those, those of you that know me know I am a talker. When I have that person that comes in for the lesson who's just completely, totally corporate, like observing every single thing that you say, I'm like, i got to stop. <laughs> i got to stop. <laughs> because they have, I lost them after the third word because they were just like, what on earth is that Jersey girl talking about? right now in the southern parts of Tennessee. That's way too fast. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I... (laughs) Yeah, she just slapped the southern folks. (laughs) Well, I got to tell you. Wait a minute. I got to tell you. This is funny. So I happen to be from Buffalo. My husband grew up in Pensacola, Florida. So needless to say, he's a southern gentleman. Mm Mm-hmm. And when we were getting married, everybody in Buffalo was teasing him about his accent. So he went out and found these books and bought everyone in our wedding party and all of my friends from Buffalo a book called How to Speak Southern for Yankees and Other Uneducated People. (laughs) I know that book. That's hysterical. I do, too. Anyway. This is great. This is great. I digress. You know, sorry. That's that. No, that's up. fine. No, that's okay. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's true though. But you have to really, and I think you both made the made the point is you have to come. You have to meet the student where they are, um, because uh, again, you have so many different personalities that you're dealing with, and some people in in the case, Cindy, of your student that was very very shy. Um, obviously, the optimum. Uh, is is to help draw them out a little bit, but that's not always easy. But if you're if you're sort of loud and, and boisterous and and overbearing, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but just that's part of your personality, it can be very difficult when you have a student that's completely the opposite. So yeah, you have to kind of meet them where they are, and then you gradually um, you know convert them to the dark side, I guess, for the lack of better words, Cindy. And I have to go back and. <laughs> And just and just say something. Now, Karen, I can't say this about you because I don't know you well enough, but I, I concur with, with Cindy. Cindy, you're crazy. Um, I can say that for <laughs> sure. But a good, cra- but a good crazy. Um, but awesome. no, you, you know, yeah, you have to be, I think you have to be, um, you know, somebody who is, is and, and when I say aggressive, I don't mean in a bad way, but you have to be somebody that, um, Obviously, as a talker, you have to be engaging with people. Otherwise, you're not going to be an effective teacher. And, you know, Cindy will attest to, to me. I'm a talker, so 
Um, I'm in that sort of that same camp. I don't know if I'm quite crazy yet. I'm probably a little bit nuts, but maybe not quite crazy. But I fall a little bit into that camp as well. Um, so, so Karen, let me ask you. I want to give you a, an opportunity to talk about something. We're going to shift from from golf here for for a second um, and talk about something that I know that's important to you, and that is is obviously uh, animals. You are a founder and president, as I mentioned in the, in the opening uh, credits uh, of uh, Time for Paws, which is uh, an organization that you uh, uh, work with in uh, Crossville, Tennessee. Tell us a little bit about that and what some of the things that you're doing. Sure, sure. Well, when I moved from the south, well, I moved from the north and then to the south, and then halfway back, as they call it, half back, we, in Tennessee, I moved up there to teach golf, with uh, with someone, and it, it didn't work out for various reasons. But obviously, I I discovered that I was there for a different reason as well. When I moved there, they they had a an animal shelter. They still have it there, and um, I found that they were uh, uh, uselessly uh, just for no reason at all, other than I would call it lack of space and and uneducated uh, in in regards to the shelter aspect of things killing over uh, 90% of the animals that were coming into this little rural shelter. So mm. my, my love of animals goes way back since I was a child. And so it was a, a strange story. I went to open a bank account for golf, and I met someone that worked at the bank who was with a local animal welfare organization. They were in need of people who were kind of mouthy and would get some things done. And that was in 2005. And I started the Time for Pause in 2005 because I knew that there was a different way to do it. I just knew from my background where I was from, where I had traveled mm-hmm. to, that I could help educate them. And so we did. And uh, here we are 17 years later. Um, we have now um, what we call a live release rate. It's different from what they call a kill rate. It's kind of reversed. So now, as opposed to having a live release rate of less than 10%, they have over 90% of live release rate. For every animal that comes into the shelter, uh, 90% of those go somewhere else other than the uh, the bad place. So right. currently we, offer, we operate a 7,500-square-foot a fundraising thrift store. We have um, an adoption center on 11 acres and where we take in uh, people's cats who are in going into hospice, death in the family, cruelty investigations, and so forth. We give them like a safe alternative in regards to they know exactly where their pet is going next. And so we keep them safe and love them and care for them and until they're adopted. Uh, and now our latest venture is we're going to be opening a low-cost spay and neuter clinic on our adoption center property so that the community can take advantage of the, the low cost so that we can lower the number of animals that are being um, reproduced here in mm-hmm. the rural parts. So it's, a, it's been a long, um, challenging endeavor, but the successes are really starting to show, and we're very excited about it. Yeah, and, and I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I think that I, I agree with, uh, with Cindy. I think that is awesome and, and, and great to be able to, you know, sort of flip the script, if you will, on a, a problem. I, I, you know, for years, it always, I was thinking as you were talking, I can remember um, for years on the Price is Right, Bob Barker used to always talk about spade and neuter, you know, about getting your, your pets because, um, you know, it's not that we want to, you know, stop pets from, from reproducing, but if it's not in a controlled manner, you get in a situation where you just get you know, overrun and they're not being looked after and they're either running wild or, or people just, you know, there's not enough people that, uh, you know, want to look after them. And then they just get, you know, for lack of better words, euthanized um, needlessly when there's other options out there. So I think it's fantastic what you're doing um, in addition to obviously uh, a golf career um, to be able to find something that you're passionate about and be able to go into a community like that. Do you see, let me, I, I want to just follow up and then Cindy, I'll throw it back to you real quick. Um, do you see an opportunity of, of taking that platform that you've now created uh, at a time for pause and maybe branching that out, not necessarily on your own, but I, I hate to use the word franchise, but provide that same sort of knowledge and information to other communities outside of the one you're currently um, vested in? Well, I, I have been asked by uh, different areas of the country to come and speak and help uh, educate the, uh, the shelters 
and their directors who, who need that. So I, I do some of that already. Um, I'm not uh, interested in uh, personally in um, starting any new ventures, uh, but right. I definitely I definitely have uh, been educating and have been at uh, different uh, workshops and helping others. I actually have a an appointment this afternoon um, with uh, with a, a a lady who would like to do exactly what I did 17 years ago, and she has found she has found that the the uh, larger groups are getting you know <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, and she's just a person like me who loved animals, who saw there was a need, and and wants to know what can she what can she do. So I'm really excited to talk to her, and so that's kind of what I do uh, in regards to quote um, you know passing sure. on and going forward. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's yeah, I think it's good. At- yeah, I think education is the most important thing, and, and if you can educate another community or another uh, individual that, that shares that same passion, I think that's just as, as good as, as you know opening up another place somewhere else. So I think that's fantastic. Um, Cindy, go ahead. If people want more information or want to contact you, how would they reach out? Uh, our our um, email is the best place, which is uh, save TN pets at gmail.com. We also have a three Facebook pages that are all under a time for pause, which is the number four. So we have a lost and found page. Uh, we have a thrift store page and, of course, our adoption center page. And we can always go to the website, going to be under construction shortly, but it is at4p.org. That's a time for pause.org, always using the number four. Awesome. And about golf lessons? Golf lessons nine three one two zero zero nine six five one. That's the best way to reach me. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you both for having me. I really appreciate it. And um, as I always like to say, say uh, stay wild. Hit them straight. And not we well. will. <laughs> we will. Thank you very much, Karen. Thank, thank you, Karen, for joining us this morning. All right. Bye bye. Have a great day. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. All right, Karen McMeekin, uh, not only a, a LPJ professional, but also a lover of animals, and a time for pause is her cause, if you will. And uh, you can visit her uh, website uh, or uh, email her, as she mentioned, uh, and get more information if you want to do that. Um, Cindy, great discussion, and, and always uh, enjoy having some interesting guests. But we gotta we got to split, because I know you got to get ready for... Uh, uh, to speak with the folks through Troon. So um, on that note, uh, on behalf of Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Rico. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on the Women of Golf. And make sure you stay tuned next week because we're going to have our good buddy to start things off. Uh, Mike Nichols, the CBO of the Epson Tour, is going to be coming on and kicking off this year's uh, tour season um, for those on the Epson Tour. So you want to make sure you tune in for that. So God bless, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week here on the Women of Golf. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, Talk Stream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash women of golf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.